Hey, it's Scott Petrak. Welcome to another episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. I'm joined again by Dave Chodowski of the WKYC Morning News. And once again, we've got a ton to discuss. You ready, Dave? <laughs> I think that's an understatement. You know, as I was <laughs> as I was prepping for this, I'm like, man, I, I, we could talk again for three hours. I mean, it's in, it's incredible how much there is to talk about with the draft being in Cleveland and, of course, the draft itself and with all of the um, press conferences that we've had in the last week, right? Oh, there's just so much. There's so much, right? We had the Haslam's yesterday. Uh, we're doing this Wednesday morning, so we had the Haslam's Tuesday. We had Baker, a little surprise Baker, Monday afternoon. Andrew Barry, Friday. I made it downtown to check out the draft site yesterday. Um, and then we got the draft tomorrow night, right? We're starting tomorrow night. So just a ton to talk about with the Browns in the draft. Yeah, and we'll go draft heavy, no doubt. Um, but before we really dive into like players and stuff like that. You had mentioned that you're down there this morning on the show. We, you know, showed the stage once again and talked about how it's the biggest stage they've ever had. Uh, and uh, the excitement and the amount of people that are going to be down there, Scott. I mean, it's crazy if you think about it in a pandemic and the world we've lived in the last year, this is kind of a sign that we're getting closer when you think about what 50,000 they're saying that are going to be down there a day. Yeah, that's what they're that's what they're saying. Fifty thousand a day. Hopefully, the weather doesn't mess that mess that up too much. You know, we might get some rain Thursday. Um, but I know I I found myself kind of going back and forth because obviously we're better off than we were a year ago with vaccinations and all that. But you know, there still is a pandemic. You still see people testing positive. Caleb Farley. We're going to talk about him. The Virginia Tech corner. Um, tested positive and isn't coming into Cleveland like he was gonna for the draft. Uh, but the NFL likes to push it. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. They, they're trying to be at the front edge of, okay, let's get people back doing things. At the Super Bowl, they had some fans. You know, they want everyone in the stadiums come the fall. They're pushing the vaccination. So this is kind of one of those on a milestone events where it's a signal of, okay, I think we're starting to hopefully come out of this. And they're excited about that. The Hasms are excited about that. And then part of me is like, what if there were, it was no pandemic? This would be even more insane, right? I mean, it would be off the charts, Cleveland, draft, all that stuff. So, um, and D Haslam got asked about it yesterday. And she said, hopefully, or I hope so, or whatever, toward – the NFL bringing the draft back in a non-pandemic year because that only seems right to me is every Cleveland fan that wants to enjoy it should be able to enjoy it. And that won't be the case this time around. So, you know, whether it's five or seven, whatever that number is, five or seven years, um, how about the NFL bring it back and have it a full fledged draft here? Man, we are always on the same page. I feel like because I was, that was going to be one of my first questions to you. I listened to the Haslam's uh, uh, press conference, and and that was one of the two things that stood out to me that I was going to ask you about. And and didn't we talk about that last week? How I was, you know, we're happy it's here, but it's a bummer that it's not going to be to the full extent that it could be. And I was really excited to hear her say that that that's their hope that they can get it back because I I certainly think it it's deserving to come back again. I I definitely agree, and I was thinking about this yesterday, you know, there's probably only so many of the 32 cities that 
would be good hosting the draft. I'm not sure LA cares that much, right? Um, but Cleveland does. Uh, Nashville certainly did. Philly does. You know, I kind of think there's certain diehard football cities that deserve it more than others. And I'm thinking, I think it was the NBA All-Star Game um, was in Atlanta recently, right? And it just, it wasn't the same, you know, they didn't have the same hoopla and they didn't have the same events, um, but they wanted to have it. And that should have come with kind of, okay, we'll come back to Atlanta and we're taking the uh, voting stuff out of this. Um, but I feel like that with Cleveland, right? Las Vegas had it taken away completely. They are back on the schedule. Um, and obviously Cleveland isn't to that level because they're having a draft, but I certainly think um, sooner rather than later that the draft should come back. And, and I think how well the city hosted this week will certainly go a long ways toward convincing the NFL that that's the right thing to do. Sure. Now you were down there walking around. What, what kind of vibe is there in downtown Cleveland right now? What, what do you think of the setup? How's the stage look? All the helmets that are out there. For anyone that does not have the opportunity to go down there, just kind of you know give everyone the feel of what it's like. Yeah, it's cool. I'll tell you what, I was surprised at how much work was still being done. You know, I mean, there's construction going on. There's a lot of hard hats. Um, you know, we were right in front of, you know, the big structure that's hosting the draft and there's golf carts whizzing by and there's still people working on stuff. So um, it wasn't a finished product yet, but I think by last night you started to see more people downtown watching channel three news. You could see, people walking around down there and getting starting to get into the draft event part of it. Um, you know, it, it, you got to park a little bit of ways and walk down there just because you can't drive up close. So fans should be aware of that. Uh, the stage is cool. I wonder about if it rains badly Thursday night, what exactly they're going to do to protect the TV stages because they're right on the edge of the big structure. So we could have rain blowing in there. I'm sure they're well aware of that, but I hadn't seen any as of yesterday at 11 a.m. I hadn't seen any way that they're going to protect those, the guys and the cameras, you know, up on stage. Um, and then the other thought was, you know, I thought they would use a lake as more of a backdrop, but it feels like the city is going to be more of a backdrop. Um, you know, the stage is toward the end, toward the lake, but there's big LED boards behind the stage. Um so I'm interested to see how TV does it, how much they show the lake, how much they show the city. Um, but, you know, the draft experience, you can see that coming together. And I think people have a good time doing that. And there's just so much space to walk around when you have First Energy, you have the Science Center, you have the Rock Hall, you know, there's a pretty big footprint. And then as you even go further south, you know, into downtown, there'll still be draft stuff and draft TVs where you can watch it. Um, you know, whether you're at a restaurant or a bar or whatever. Sure. And it is going to rain unless they're completely wrong. <laughs> it's supposed to rain on Thursday. Unfortunately, it figures we have 80 degree temps on Tuesday. And then two days later, a roller coaster ride down to the, uh, you know, whatever fifties or whatever it's going to be in rain. Uh, the, the, uh, it is going to be amazing to see downtown. And I can't remember if I mentioned this last week when we talked or not, but it became official, I think, the other day that the other thing that's going to be cool is every team's logo is going to be shown on the terminal tower 
uh, during their pick. I think that's going to be really cool. Not when the Ravens and Steelers are up, but <laughs> when everyone else is up, that's going to be cool. Yeah, my wife sent me that um, a link to that. That is cool. That's a good idea. Yeah. So let's get into draft talk now. And, and I think everything we talk about here relates to the draft in some way. So before we break down players, let's talk about all the different uh, news conferences that, that we had. And let's start with the Haslam's yesterday. Uh, obviously, the first thing I was going to ask you about was getting another draft. But I, the other thing that stands out to me is the fact that they know it's difficult to get back. I think everybody just assumes the Browns will be back in the playoffs. But as you head into a draft like this, you know, you got to keep building your team and you can't just assume that you're going to get back there, Scott. No, you can't. And, you know, I understand the, you know, fans thinking that. And I get the momentum that Andrew Barry has built up in this offseason with all these free agent signings, John Johnson the third and Jadavion Clowney being the two most noteworthy. Um, but the reality is it, it is tough to win in the league. And, you know, Jimmy Haslam says that, and there's a bit of, I don't know, self-deprecation is the right word. Uh, but we know the history of the Browns under the Haslam's, right? And it's about coaching changes and GM changes and losing. And that changed last year. But I think the Haslam's are grounded enough <laughs> to realize that, it's not guaranteed and they know how hard it is to win. And they know the struggles that they personally have had owning this team. And therefore it's not a given that they're just going to be good, no matter what the roster is. And you only have to look back to 2019, right? There was all kinds of excitement. Baker played well as a rookie in 18. They trade for Odell, you know, expectations are through the roof and they go six and 10, right? So I, I, the Haslam's are well aware of that, and I'm sure fans are too, but it's just natural, and I understand it. And I don't even think there's anything wrong with getting caught up in all the excitement of last year, and then they should only be better. Um, it's just a matter of balancing. Okay, we have to work just as hard to get back to where we were a year ago. And that's Kevin Stefanski's message. And Jimmy Haslam revealed that Stefanski opened his first team meeting of the offseason program by telling the team how many teams don't get back to the playoffs the next year. And over the last three years, it's just over 50% of teams in the league get back to the playoffs the following year. And I'm sure all those teams and all those teams fans had the same expectations of, well, of course we'll be back. But it doesn't always happen. It's a tough league. Injuries can derail you. You know, you lose a couple of games and a last second field goal, and all of a sudden you're a borderline playoff team and it could go the wrong way. So, you know, it's probably something good for fans to keep in mind, not that it should scale back the enthusiasm at all, just that it's going to take another season like last year where they played well on offense, right? And they established the run and they got turnovers on defense, all the things you need to do to win games. You're coached well. Stefanski makes good decisions on when to go for it, when not to go for it. All those things matter. And it's not just about who your 53 man roster is. Um, so, Yes, there's a ton of excitement, but they still have to do the work. And you bring up the offense, and that's a huge reason why fans are excited and why we think that they will get back to the playoffs is the offense. The Haslam's talked about it yesterday. Uh, Baker Mayfield talked about it on Monday. That's another point of emphasis I want to talk about, Scott, and it's important as we head into the draft because I think it kind of gives you an idea of where they're going to go with the 26th pick. 
but also the fact, the excitement that everyone's back on offense. That's a great point. So I didn't, Baker was thrilled about that. And the Haslam's mentioned it, like you said, it's rare that you bring back all 11 starters, right? I think Tampa Bay is doing it with both their offense and defense, which is remarkable coming off of Super Bowl and guys looking for contracts and they were able to keep um, everybody that they wanted to keep. And that's a credit to what Tampa Bay is doing down there and Tom Brady. But the fact that the Browns can bring back all 11 starters, and it really it's not just the 11 starters, Kareem Hunt, Richard Higgins, um, David Njoku, right? Harrison Bryant, these guys, those guys aren't even considered starters, right? When you lay out your first 11, um, but they're also coming back. So it's pretty much every key piece minus Kendall Lamb, who was, you know, one of your backup linemen. Um, we don't know if Chris Hubbard's going to be ready to go. He was your swing tackle, um, but that's it. So that's a huge reason for optimism, especially when you pair that with, the coaching staff coming back for a second straight year, which Baker has not experienced in the NFL, right? It went from Hugh to Greg Williams to Freddie Kitchens to Kevin Stefanski. So now Stefanski's back. His system is back. The tweet system that they did at the bye week that really allowed Baker and the offense to take off is back. Alex Van Pelt, the coordinator slash QB coach, is back. All of that is huge, and it's from an offense that was really strong a year ago. And has room to grow with the return of Odell Beckham Jr., with perhaps more Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt on the field together at the same time. Um, Donovan Peoples-Jones in his second year. Like, there's a lot of reasons to think that the offense can get even better. And then you flip to the defense and go, well, they added all these pieces. So a ton of reason for excitement. You know, Baker's fifth-year option picked up, which we knew would happen. Um, but it's another step toward the long-term extension that I and the Haslam's and I think Pretty much everyone expects to happen. So a ton of excitement and to kind of segue into the draft like you want to do. There's no needs on offense. When you look at it, I mean, we can talk secondary needs. Yeah, maybe they find a guard in the middle rounds. Maybe they need a backup swing tackle or, uh, you know, kind of a projection, a guy, a project backup tackle. Um, but there's no huge need at any position, which means the focus will probably be on defense early but I won't rule out a receiver just because, you know, I would like to see a speedy slot guy. Um, Odell and Jarvis are both going to turn 29 in November. They're making a ton of money. You got to juggle the cap now with all these contract extensions that are coming up. So I wouldn't rule out a receiver in the first couple of rounds, but that's the only spot on offense that I could see them addressing in the first couple of rounds. We'll keep attacking that topic, but before we do, you brought up fifth-year option, and, and I know many people want to talk about uh, UFOs when it comes with Baker. That that was <laughs> that, that was one of the highlights, right? Uh, it, the, the, <laughs> it really was. He's all in on the UFO thing, and it, it's just weird. You're like I never gave it a ton of thought. I never really, uh, you know, I was not a UFO guy. I'm certainly not a Sasquatch guy, like Baker says he is either. Um, but now we have more evidence of USO, UFOs. We have the Navy pictures. Um, so I probably shouldn't have thought Baker was as crazy as I originally did in March when he, uh, when he tweeted about it. <laughs> oh, boy. All right, let's talk football, though, and, and, <laughs> and, and talk about that fifth-year option. And it, real quick, because I, I, I just want before we get into the, the picks and all that, is the marriage good there? Are, are you happy with how they did that? 
uh, is Baker happy? Are we going to get the long-term contract? Is everything good there? I think it is. I think it is, Chud. Um, I don't think there's any, and Baker referred to this when we talked to him Monday. I don't think there's any anxiety on Baker's part about when this contract extension will happen. If it happens in July or August, like I expect it to, which would follow the timeline of Miles Garrett's extension a year ago, quarterbacks across the league in recent history have tended to sign their extensions then, right? In either right before training camp or during training camp before the season starts. Uh, if it doesn't happen, I think Baker would be fine with that. I think he's fine betting on himself, playing one more year and having his contract jump um, from what it would be this year to what it would be at the same time in 2022, assuming he plays well again, which we just talked about all the reasons why he should play well again um, next season. So I don't sense any, yeah, any anxiety. I think both the Browns and Baker's camp are kind of on the same side. I know they hadn't begun negotiating yet, um, but that's to be expected. There's all these other kind of checkpoints in the organization's offseason, you know, free agency, draft, fit their option. Things will start to settle down. They can turn to, okay, how do we want to address these extensions? And, you know, maybe they go Nick Chubb first because he doesn't have that fifth-year option. And then eventually they get to Baker just from a logistics standpoint. But I think Baker likes being here. He, he, I know he likes the direction that the organization is headed. Um, last year's run to the playoffs is proof that it's headed in the right direction. So I, I think all sides are together. I think it's a matter of when, not if, it happens. And Baker's going to be a rich guy. And, you know, maybe you wait until Lamar and Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen sign to kind of set the market. Or maybe the Browns jump ahead of that. I think that's the only real big question left. But to me, it gets done and Baker's here for a long time. Okay, good news. On to the draft now. The Browns with nine picks, 26, 59, 89, 91, 110, 132, 169, 211 and 257. Obviously, it starts with the 26th pick on Thursday night in the first round, and it is uh, their lowest initial pick in the first round since 1999. We talked about that last week. The lowest before that was 21. So this is definitely rare air for the Browns. Not only are they picking this low, but they don't need a quarterback. And I ask you right now, where do you think Andrew Barry is leaning? Listening to him uh, talk the other day, did you get any vibe or feel about what he wants to do? It was tough. It was tough with Andrew Barry because he does not <laughs> give up much. Um, so I, I don't think I can base anything really off of how he handled the Zoom news conference. I'm basing it on how I think the roster is set up, how I think they – prioritize certain positions and who I think will be on the draft board. Um, I don't think they prioritize defensive tackle or linebacker enough to take one at number 26 or in the first round period. Now they could prove me wrong and there could be a unicorn, right? That's a big phrase. Now there could be a unicorn there that they just say, if it's Zayvon Collins or if it's Jamin Davis, whoever it is at linebacker, or Christian Barmore defensive tackle, this guy's special. He would take this level of our defense up a notch. 
um, it's worth it to spend to take to spend this kind of valuable asset on that position. But I just don't expect them to do that. So to me, that narrows it down to cornerback or defensive end. Um, you know, I suppose you could throw safety in there, but you know, after John Johnson the third and you drafted Delpit a year ago, that seems less likely at number 26, not that they couldn't address it somewhere in the draft. So I'm really focused on corner and defensive end. And I think it's a good draft for those two spots. I think you can get somebody at 26 and you can get somebody at 59. Um, it's just a matter of who falls, right? Who's sitting there at 26. Now, yes, there's a possibility they could trade up a few spots um, if they really had their eyes on a guy and don't want to let him pass. And I think there's a chance they could do that. I have to think there's a chance that they trade back and say, hey, our core philosophy is you're better off with extra picks, right? The draft, it's a 50-50 proposition. The more picks you have, the better off you are. And I understand that philosophy. And I agree with that philosophy to a large extent. So if they don't love a guy at 26 and somebody offered him to move back to 35 and give them a one, a first or second round pick next year, I could see them doing that as well. So I do think anything is, everything is on the table for Andrew Barry and he's going to have to be flexible and that's his nature. And I think the roster is in a spot right now where he can afford to be flexible because he's really built it up. Um, to a point where there aren't any huge, huge needs, which makes it frustrating when you're trying to figure out who they're going to pick, right? Because there's so many variables yeah. involved. Um, but I just finished my mock draft and Caleb Farley mentioned earlier with the COVID diagnosis and he's not coming to Cleveland for the draft. I think he, I think there's four top corners and Alabama's Patrick Sertain, the second JC Horn from South Carolina, Northwestern's Greg Newsom, the second, and Caleb Farley from Virginia Tech. And I think the other three are gone, and all four could be gone. But in the mock draft I did, Farley was still there at 26. And there's risk because he had two back surgeries. Um, he said they were minor. They were only like the discectomies. Um, he had one, again, in late February, early March, but should be back for training camp. I just think he's so talented. It's worth the risk, um, the injury risk involved with taking him. And I just feel like he's a notch or two above any other corner they could get. And I think the Browns are in a position where they can take that risk. So I haven't taken Caleb Farley. I could say, you know, if they're medical guys, which I don't know what their medical guys say, if they say, hey, we can't take him, then obviously he's not the pick. But if they say he's okay to take, um, I think he's incredible value at number 26. Okay, so is there a big drop-off from Farley to the next guy. Basically, what I'm saying yeah. is if Payne, Horn, Newsom, and Farley are all gone, do they still go corner at 26, or do you think they veer off there then? It's a great question. I, I think they veer off. Um, Asante Samuel Jr. from Florida State is a possibility at corner. There's two guys from Georgia, Eric Stokes and Tyson Campbell, that are in the mix. Um, Elijah Molden from Washington would be in the mix, but those guys feel more like second round players. And who knows? I mean, the Browns could love one of those guys and think he is the perfect pick and they like him better than Newsom for all I know. Um, but you know, you do the research, you listen to all these analysts talk about it and it feels to me like there is a drop off there. So I, I think if all four corners were gone, that the Browns would be able to get a one they like at 59 or maybe move up a little bit from 59. 
and they would turn their attention to defensive end or then I think trade down becomes comes into play even more. But if four corners are gone, it means one more defensive end is probably on the yeah. board. And we're talking, you know, is it Quiddy Pay from Michigan, who I really like, but will probably be gone? Um, Jason Phillips from Miami, who had three concussions, but is probably the most talented pass rusher available. Um, a lot like Farley in the risk-reward scenario. Do you take him? Gregory Rousseau from Miami is a big guy. He had 15 and a half sacks in 2019. Opted out in 2020. Um, a little bit of a project, but the Browns don't need to play him right away because they have Clowney and they have Tack McKinley opposite Miles Garrett. So maybe this would be a good spot for him. He's got some versatility where he can slide inside. Jason, um, Jason Owe from Penn State is one of those guys. So there's talent at both spots. And if it's not corner because those four guys are gone, then I would expect the Browns to shift. And if they stay at 26, take whichever one of those ends that they like the best. Okay. And which of those ends do you like the best? Is, is it pay? I, yeah, I like pay the best. I, th- I think he's, you know, there's not any questions about characters, not any questions about injuries. Um, he's got a great story. His mom fled. Um, I'm blanking on which African country it was. She was went through a couple different ones and then wound up in Rhode Island um, with Quiddy and his brother and went to school and worked a ton of jobs, put him through private school because he said, hey, mom, if you send me to private school, I'll be able to get a scholarship to college. And he was right. Um, I really like him. I think he's got big upside. So he'd be number one, but I'm not sure he'll be there 26. You know, it depends. You look at a bunch of mocks, and I saw one this morning before we did this, Dave, that had him still at 26. Uh, I would be great with that pick. Um, Jalen I Phillips. saw him in the second round in another one. Did Scott? you? Yeah. I mean, it's so it's kind of a position where guys are all over the board. Um, yeah, right. You know, like some people have him as their number one. Some don't love him. He didn't have huge sack production at Michigan. Part of that is how they used him at Michigan. He's really good against a run. Um, I know Daniel Jeremiah and was one of the guys, the NFL Network analyst, who thinks he'll be better in the pros than he was in college, just with the way he was used and the way he will be used. So um, maybe he'll be there. If he's not, um, Jalen Phillips, the Miami guy, I mentioned the three concussions he had at UCLA, or the, I think the second and third ones were when he was UCLA. He retired from football in 2018. And then the juices started flowing again. He got talked into returning. Has a huge year this season for Miami. Um, again, there's teams that I'm sure wipe him off. Their, don't even put him on their board because of the concussions. And he had a badly broken wrist from a moped accident. Um, he had another injury. Like, there's, it's all injuries about this guy. Um, but as a player, when he's on the field, he's outstanding. But do you want to take a guy, even at 26, where – in training camp, he gets a concussion and he might never play for you. So, sure. I, you know, I, I don't know if the Browns have that much, if they're that risk, um, whatever, risk averse or not risk averse to do that. Um, but he's an exciting prospect. Um, Rousseau and Owe from Penn State, Rousseau from Miami and Owe from Penn State are two guys that are intriguing. I think Georgia's Aziz Ojolari, um, I don't think he'll be there. And even if he is, I'm not convinced he's a fit in the four three. He feels to me more like a three, four outside linebacker, although he might be the best pass rusher in the draft. So you have to take that in consideration. So there's guys there. Um, 
to be interested in it, to be interested in for sure. And again, Andrew Barry talked about not drafting for need. It's more about long-term roster building. And I understand that philosophy, but I think that plays in here. I think it plays in a corner too. Whether or not Greedy Williams is healthy, you need a bunch of corners in this league. And it's a premium position, which is why I think the Browns target corner. And I think the same thing applies to defensive end. It's such a premium position. You want depth there. You want talent there. And if we look at long-term, Clowney's a one-year contract. Tack McKinley's a one-year contract. Malik Jackson, who will go start inside but play some outside, is a one-year contract. So when you talk about long-term roster building, defensive end and corner, to me, play in perfectly when you think that way. I want to put the, the cornerbacks to bed real quick. Certain uh, is, is he the, the top corner in your mind? And then Horn, number two? Yes. And, yeah. you know, I talked to Nick Saban for a little bit about Sertain, and I would have talked to him more, but I knew the Browns weren't going to get him, right? They're, I don't see any – I know there's a way they could trade up high enough to get him. I just don't think that organizational philosophy allows that to go from 26 to 10 – which would probably be necessary to take Sertain. Um, I, I just don't think the Browns would do that. You know, mortgage. But the, the reason I bring this up, though, is I wonder, Farley has the injury concerns, correct? Sure. Yeah. So my question to you is, would Farley be higher in mock drafts? And could he potentially yeah. be the best if it weren't for the injuries? Yes. Yes, I, I think that's exactly it. I mean, Sertain is a finished product. His dad played for 11 years in the league. Yeah, he played at Nick. He played for Nick Saban. Um, Saban raves about his character, so he's a clean prospect, and he's a really good player. Farley is an interesting story. He he's probably more. He's probably the most athletic corner in the draft. But he played quarterback in high school. He played some receiver at Virginia Tech before he wound up at corner. He really only played one plus seasons at corner. Now he showed great athleticism. He showed a knack for the ball, a knack for making plays, but then he opted out in 2020. So he's a bigger, he's a much, much bigger question mark, but I think his upside is the highest of any of the corners. Now, I thought Greg Newsom was your guy, the Northwestern Wildcat. <laughs> I know you brought him up, but I thought that's who you wanted. Well, I, I like, I, I think Newsom's really good. I don't think he's, <laughs> I don't think he's the same, play, quite the same level. And there's injury concern there, not to the same degree at all. Um, he had some nagging stuff that he got while he was playing, um, you know, groin injury against Ohio State in the Big Ten Championship this year that knocked him out of the game, and then he didn't play in the bowl game. Um, but he's a good player. He's got enough size. Um, he's really aggressive, gets to the ball. Didn't – like, his numbers were unbelievable. I don't think he gave up a touchdown this season. Um, his passer rating against led, I think, FBS schools – so he, he's a big-time prospect. And obviously, I, you know, I watch Northwestern every week. I'm probably the only person yeah. you know that does that. Um, <laughs> but but he, he's a player. So, I, I, you know, I, I would talk more about him. In a month ago, six weeks ago, I thought that he lined up perfectly for the Browns at 26. Now I don't think he makes it to 26. So if he's there, I think it's a no-brainer to take him. Um, then the question becomes, if he's still there at 20 or 21 – do you move up to five or six spots to land him before a team like Tennessee might take him at 22? And I do think that's something that Andrew Barry would consider doing um, because 
he's a player I think you could fall in love with enough to say, hey, it's worth giving up our third round, our extra third round pick to go make sure we get this guy. JC Horn, that is that Joe Horn's son? It is. Yeah. Chad, I wrote something this week. It's amazing. Sertain's dad played in the league. Horn's dad played in the league. Samuel's dad played in the league. And Molden's dad played in the league. So four of your top, whatever, five, six, seven corners, their dads all played in the league and had successful careers. And Horn's dad is the only one that didn't play corner. Obviously, he was a big-time receiver. Yeah. I'm going to go back and read that article real quick. Give me 30 seconds for this quick story. Joe Horn, do you remember when he uh, scored the touchdown and then went into the padding on the goalpost and grabbed the phone? Do you, oh, do you yeah. remember well, that? Oh, yeah. One of the most famous <laughs> celebrations ever. Yeah. So we're going into my 26th year in fantasy football. I'm the commissioner, and I used to write these long newsletters back when I had more time. <laughs> and my rival had um, – my. I, I was playing my rival – and Joe Horn was against my rival in the playoffs. I can't remember if I was playing him or someone else was. So Joe Horn scores that touchdown, literally knocks him out of the playoffs and beats him on that touchdown. <laughs> so it, in the newsletter I wrote, hey, Joe Horn picks up the phone and calls Ryan to let him know he just got knocked out of the fantasy playoffs. So that's nice. my memory. With Joe. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if anybody still has time these days to do that, to like write newsletters. I know I don't have time to do that. And I know people used to, right? You used to get these long emails and I guess our fantasy guy still does it, but they're not to that degree. You know, they're kind of short. We still do it. It's just at a much smaller, I mean, yeah, with two kids now and just work, it's just more difficult back, back then. But I'm just, I don't know how I'm still doing it. 26 years. Uh, Every year I say I'm done and I want to quit because it's just so (laughs) time consuming, but it's like a drug, Scott, man. Fantasy football is like, is like a drug. I can't shake it. <laughs> I hear you. We'll have to talk. We'll talk more about that when we get to closer to the season, Chubb. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Oh, yeah, I can't wait to talk fantasy with you. Um, all right, so we're getting close to being out of time here, but before we go, so you brought up Andrew Barry, and, and it's funny, you know, I, I think I circled two or three things from his press conference listening to what he had to say, and you hit one of them right off the head that, you know, you're going to be looking – he's not necessarily – looking for a a cure-all type of player. But that's kind of the good thing right now. The Browns, you know, they don't need a a cure-all guy like you had pointed out last week. They don't have to draft a left tackle. So they they have multiple ways they can go. But I found interesting at the very beginning of his um, presser, he talked about how many guys are draftable out of the 1,100 prospects. Talk a little bit about that. Does that, you know, mean anything to you? Um. I think it's interesting that that was a piece of information he felt he could share with us because he brought it up. Nobody asked. Um, I'm not sure exactly what it reveals, except that, you know, we look at this and I think whatever, there's 257 picks in the draft, at least the Browns are drafted 257. So there's at least that many. Um, So to say you only have 114 draftable players just shows you number one, I think the, disparity among teams with how they view players because I'm guessing the guy at 257 that the Browns will draft let's assume they stay at the spot and take the pick I'm assuming that guy will be among the 147 right there's a chance he's not there's a chance he's among the priority free agents and he said they're 54 those guys but even if they're drafting at number six in, in the sixth round whatever those you know as we get to close to 200 it shows you that some teams will view guys differently because 
about 100 guys or 150 guys would be drafted that the Browns didn't consider draft worthy. And, and I think that's really interesting. And it just shows you 32 teams of highly trained scouts put together these boards and they are so different. And it's not only when we're talking seventh rounders. I guarantee you, if you look at the 32 boards in the first round, you know, maybe all the boards have 10 guys the same. And then the, the other 12 that you think are worth drafting in the first round are completely different from team to team. And I think that's fascinating. I think it's why some teams do well and some teams don't. Um, it's why mock drafts, as fun as they might be, are exasperating because they can go <laughs> any direction, right? And a guy that you're convinced is going in the first round because you saw his tape and you heard 95 guys talk about him falls in the second round because you're missing something or the team that liked him took somebody else. So um, I, I thought it was interesting. And also he said that that's pretty normal, that the normal number is 115 to 130. Um, so it's just a shade below normal, which I think fits with this draft because there's a lot of college guys that are going back next year because this was a weird season, right? You didn't have nearly as many games. You had some conferences not playing or not playing until late. Um, you know, the FCS is playing right now, which makes it tough. Um, so I feel like this draft overall, there's less information. There's fewer prospects. And next year's draft will be even stronger. And I bet that number goes up from 114 to, you know, probably closer to 130, 140. Hence why you might want to trade a lot of picks, right? Maybe trade picks that are later in the draft that you don't necessarily feel guys, you don't know enough about guys, I guess is what I'm saying. And, and yeah. you feel if it's deeper next year, you'd rather have those picks next year. There's no doubt. And I think, I think philosophically, they, the Browns always want to have extra picks going into the next year, right? Now they have, they have nine this year um, with an extra third and extra fourth. And I don't think they have any extra for next for 2022 right now. And I know that they want to do that in the way to accrue those picks. The best way is by trading picks this year for picks next year. And usually because of the immediacy of it, right? You trade a fourth rounder this year, it either be, it usually becomes a third rounder next year because you have to wait, right? You're giving up a fourth now. So the, what you get is you move up around. And I think the Browns will try to use that to their advantage multiple times in this draft to get the extra picks they don't need nine picks. They're not going to have nine rookies on the roster. All of it points to the Browns making several trades. The question is, when do those start? And do they combine those trades with a trade up in the first or second round if they target a specific guy? Now, I know you mentioned wide receiver earlier. That's the one spot where they could possibly go on offense. But do you really think that they would draft a receiver? And also, isn't wide receiver very deep this year, whereas they can get a receiver and another pick? That's a great point, Judd. Um, it's, it's deep again. It was super deep last year, super deep this year. It will probably continue to be super deep just because we see so many, so much passing in college. I know that people point to the seven-on-seven seven camps, um, and it's all throwing, right? And that you have receivers just coming up in – they're all skilled. They're highly skilled. They're fast. They're having production at the college level. So it feels like this pipeline will continue. Um, but there's a bunch this year. There's a bunch of big-time receivers. So I thought about taking one at 26 um, in the mock draft, but my default was 
they're going to be able to get a good one, whether they wait to 57, whether they wait to the third round where they have two picks, they'll be able to find a quality receiver. And we saw that a little bit with Donovan Peoples-Jones last year, right? They didn't get him to the sixth round. Um, and he looks like a keeper. I'm not saying he's a, you know, necessarily a difference maker, but he can play in this league. Um, so I, I think that is one reason, one more reason I don't expect them to take a guy at 26 is because I think there'll be so many options later. Um, but I won't rule it out. Like it's just sticking in the back of my head. If the perfect guy is there, um, perhaps they take him, but those are all reasons not to. And, you know, again, I keep going to philosophically, but I think we know, and I know it's only been one draft for Andrew Barry, but he was here with Sashi Brown. Paul D. Podestin's been here for a long time. I feel like you do know certain things about them and how they want to operate. And that's your baseline. And then you allow for exceptions and taking receiver 26, I think would be an exception, not because they don't value the position, but because of the depth of the draft and where they stand from a roster standpoint right now. Okay, here we go. Do, 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 do. That's, that's my best, uh, you know, NFL on the clock. This is it. Scott Petrak, you are on the clock with the 26 pick. And before I ask you, do they trade the pick? You are on the clock. Do they trade the pick, yes or no? Yes. They do trade the pick, so we will not have a pick at 26. Yeah, I, I'm just saying that because I think – if you combine the chances of moving up and moving down, I, I think that supersedes the odds of staying put. Scott Petrack on the clock predicting the Browns trade 26. Where do they move to? Do you want to really go out on a limb or are you just going to stick with? <laughs> well, I feel better about the trade scenario than actual details. Um, if you're yeah. going to give me, <laughs> right. if, if you're going to give me a, if I have to come up with something, I'll say, I'll say they slide back. Um, I'll say they slide back four or five spots and stay in the first round and pick up an extra second round pick in 2022. Any idea who the player would be, or is that just, no, I mean, tough? yeah, I, I think if you trade back, it means the guy you really wanted wasn't there. And then it's just, yeah. you, you're picking from a pile. Um, okay. Yeah, again, I think they're just as likely – I think they're more likely to trade down but only slightly less likely to trade up. Um, you know, if you wanted to put numbers on it, is it, you know, is it 40% trade down, 30% trade up, 30% stay at 26? You know, something around there. Um, and, again, it's, it's so hard because there's so many variables before they actually pick. Um but that's how I kind of see it is a slight edge to trade down and then stick or move up is, is probably the same. All right, Scott, I got to go, man. I got to go take a nap and then search for some UFOs. <laughs> so my, my day is done here. <laughs> I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate all your time, Chud. Absolutely. Can't wait to do it again. Good luck uh, covering the draft this weekend. Thanks. Yeah. We'll talk next week. We'll have a lot to cover, huh? Again. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, bud. Hey, this has been Scott Petrak with Dave Chodowski on the Zone Coverage Podcast, and we'll talk to you again next week.